Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and welcome to my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore the LDS scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. I'm a longtime gospel doctrine teacher, sometime institute and seminary teacher, and a current theology student. My friends and I are often discussing history, context, and theology, and thought that you might appreciate it too. I think of it as a bridge between academic and inspiration. However, these opinions are my own and not an official representation of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks again for listening, and I hope this will be a blessing to you on the road to discipleship. Hey, welcome back. This is Lori, and we are headed into 2 Peter. And there is always so much to talk about. Let's jump in and find out what this very short book from Peter is all about. Well, first, I just want to thank everybody again for jumping in and helping and making the podcast a success. It's uh, It's been interesting for me as just kind of a way to, to study and give back to everything I've been learning and how much I love to teach and, and learn as I really think through things a little bit differently when you have to try to teach it. And so I appreciate that this has been so well received. And so uh, thank you for all the nice comments and thoughts. It is so appreciated. You have no idea. This is, it takes a lot of work. I, I don't know if you can tell, but I do have to study for these and this is not my job and I go to school full time too. And so it, I just appreciate that it's, it's worthwhile for you. So we're in, anyway, we're in second Peter. And one thing that you should probably know as scriptorians is that second Peter is often debated as, was it really written by Peter? It's written later. Um, it was not included in the canon, meaning the, the New Testament, for a long time. A lot of them were like, oh, I don't know. And its style is very different. Uh, but we do think it is by Peter, and it's right before he dies, actually. And he makes mention of that, that soon he will be uh, leaving his uh, mortal life and moving on. So so very short chapter. Uh, again, also probably a letter that would be circulated around. We don't have exactly who it's written to. But um, it is... Great. It's only a few chapters, so if you, you have time, go back and read this one again. And I am going to read 1 through 11 in chapter 1, again, in an English Standard Version, so it's a little easier to flow uh, through. Again, you have King James, so you're probably very familiar with that. But let me read this, and what I want you to do when you're through it, this is really a lot. Uh, as you read through it, have you ever been like to a buffet where, where really, I mean, we just had Thanksgiving here in the United States, but where you just have so much food, you don't know what to pick and you just kind of overwhelmed. You're like, boy, do I start with dessert or what about all the appetizers or look at all that food. I That is kind of what these first 11 verses are like. It is just so much information that, and, and every bite is delicious that you should go back and just take a few of these verses because he is going to give a rich set of tools for us. So think about that as we read through. And sorry, if you can hear the dog Murphy in the back. She is interested in something back there tonight. All right, 2 Peter 1. Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus the Messiah, to those who have obtained a share of faith equal to ours in the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus the Messiah, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. God has bestowed upon us through his divine power everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue. The result is that he has given us through these things his precious 
and wonderful promises. And the purpose of all this is so that you may run away from the corruption of lust that is in the world and may become partakers of the divine nature. So because of this, you should strain every nerve to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge and your knowledge with self-control and your self-control with patience and your patience with piety and your piety with family affection and your family affection with love. If you have these things in plentiful supply, you see, you will not be wasting your time or failing to bear fruit in relation to your knowledge of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Someone who doesn't have these things, in fact, is so short-sighted as to be actually blind and has forgotten what it means to be cleansed from earlier sins. So, my dear family, you must make the effort all the more to confirm that God has chosen you. If you do this, you will never trip up. That is how you will have richly laid out before you an entrance into the kingdom of God's coming age, the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Messiah. Wow, did you, did you feel like that was a buffet? There was just so much. And so as you quickly read through that together, um, it's just, it, just every sentence, right? Every thing, there's so many ideas. I kept wanting to stop and go, oh, oh. Uh, so good, so good. Uh, but let's look at the first big picture is that I think first that God wants for all his people. Um, I love how it says that God wants for all his people. Sometimes I think we think that faith and is about uh, behavior, like we just have to grit our teeth and make ourselves behave just so unnaturally. But I think he's saying this is the natural place. This is the place that humans, humanity is the happiest and and are natural beings. So we see that from verses 3 to 11 that there's this truth. And the first one is that God has already given us everything we need. In verse 3, he kind of says a, a, a starter kit, right, for all that we need to become. And there's a lot of effort that goes into this, but he has given us everything we need. Isn't that reassuring that as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, that we have the tools. doesn't mean it's, again, simple to understand, but very difficult to do. But we're not waiting for more. To We have what we need now. Yes, it's always great to have more light knowledge. It's always great to, to gain further testimony and further revelation. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, you, but you have what you need. You have what you need to become. Um, so there's a lot here about this moral effort that we have to make. So we have what he do, but you're gonna, we're going to have to put in a little elbow grease here. Um, but it all comes from God in the first place. He has given us everything. Second, he wants for nothing less for than we should come to share in his very nature. Did you catch that in verse 4? That uh, it says that we may become partakers of the divine nature. Uh, could you not have the plan of salvation laid out more clearly that right here, he's given us what we need so that we become more like him, that we can be partakers as we get the spirit, as we change our very natures to become more divine, more returned to who we should be, then we, uh, we can partake, we can share, we can share. I know that that sometimes is a little poo-pooed, at least where I go to school, that's not something that they talk about very often, but here it is in Second Peter. Third, verse 10, 
I point, I, I drew a little line under that God has called and chose us, right? Our calling and election made sure that it's not something that we just sit on our, our laurels, right? We don't say, oh, I figured it out. And, you know, I joined the church. I'm all good. But he's saying, um, he's not making sure God is more sure. It's making sure that you, <laughs> you are doing the things, right? I am doing the things that I need to do. Which leads right to his fourth point. I think that God has set up his kingdom, that, you know, heaven in verse 11 or the age to come, this this heaven and earth when this last age that we're waiting for. And so that's just this framework for this, this incredible passage, kind of the gospel all at once. Now, one thing that's important is that we say, whatever we do, we do now because of obedience and allegiance to the gospel. Now, we, we are partakers in it, and that's just a great place to start. Um, but it's not a good place to stop. Uh, there's a lot more going on in the, the verse, but, but that's a good place to start. So take a look at that. But I love the idea that it's to learn discipline and to learn um, what our calling and our uh, this covenant is about. God has given us the tools that we need. Um, first, he says there are a couple of things that have to happen. There are two things that must happen. And so you think, wow, this is big. These are big topics. But then he just boils it down into two bullets. Um, first is that we must run away from corruption of lust. Okay. Um, that's an interesting one. Now, for them, that was certainly an issue. Uh, if you think back to Greek times, there was a lot of behavior where you could go and drunk and you would go to these temples and, and participate in these uh, terrible, lustful events. Or it didn't matter if you were not faithful to your spouse, you could, as long as you weren't caught, or even if you were, big deal. So it was a different world. Um, doesn't sound like our world at all, does it? I know it sounds exactly sounds exactly like our world that uh, that we are definitely can be corrupted, and I think that's an interesting word, right? Something changes within us; we become corrupted. But it also says that we should resist uh, the devil. So First Peter five nine tells us that, but it's going to we need to shun. Sometimes we need to uh, push away those things that are, are bad for us. So it isn't necessarily that um, everything. Everything in the world is terrible. That's not his point. It's that when it's outside the covenant, when it's outside uh, God's laws, that these things corrupt us. So um, so he kind of points that out, that these things change us to become fully human, to become the best that the Lord wants us to be, this Christian character, to be a disciple of Christ, to return to our heavenly natures. It's going to take effort. And it doesn't just happen by accident, uh, does it? So, so that's, that's kind of the first chapter, and then he runs right into, oh, I'm sorry, in the next paragraph, he runs right into where, um, by the way, just a really quick point, he talks about the Mount of Transfiguration. It's the only place out of the three Gospels, Synoptic Gospels, where we hear about the Mount of Transfiguration, where Christ was up on the mountain, and he meets with Moses and Elijah and Elias, and, and, and then you also hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Think about why is Peter telling that story here? And why is why was Peter there? Because it's I think it's important because he's going to talk about these important instances where we, um, and he moves right on to talk about that, that there are prophecies and times when the Lord is going to speak to his prophets. 
let's um let's go on there is another theme here and that he heads up in two and then he months on two three and chapter three and that's it is there two things the first is false prophets um you know some of these letters do you ever notice that they get pretty serious right they're like hey these false teachers it was very common you see it a lot in paul and you see it in peter too that, that these false teachers they're going to come uh, around and and he's really warning them and so you see that the church is already uh, seeing some corruption seeing some failing and and so we can see where the apostasy is already creeping in really early on right and it's like hey these teachers are coming and here are some clues to how you're going to recognize them so, uh, and then I want to tell a story um, after this. So hold on. So he says, first, I'm in Second Peter 2, 1 through 10. This false prophets, 1 through 10. Um, so the, the, I'm not going to read it to you. You can read it yourself. But I, I outlined a couple things. He says, first, that they're going to deny the master. So they wouldn't believe in Jesus. They might believe in a different version of him. Like um, at school, sometimes they'll hear, oh, he was just a good teacher he wasn't the divine son, he wasn't only begotten, but he was a good philosopher, something like that. Or they could um, somehow talk about some other piece that it isn't the gospel that you know about the Savior. The master isn't the teacher himself, the, the Savior. The second is that uh, he says the false teachers will encourage disgusting practices. You know, Peter isn't more specific Um but does put you on alert, doesn't it, that there's some kind of behavior that people would feel important and that isn't right. So he says the way of truth will be blasphemed and, and outsiders would look at um, look at these teachers and go, ugh, you know, so gross. So I don't know what disgusting practices are, but um, but be on alert. They would be they would deny the master and then they would teach some kind of practice that would be Loathsome. Verse 3 also says that they would make use of their fake prophecies as a way of boosting income. Um, you know, nothing like trying to get people to buy your book or signing on for a lecture course or uh, go to a special class or become a special disciple or um, maybe it's even podcasts and things like that, right? It's becoming kind of a disciple and they do it because they're making money. They're doing it because they're making money. So one sign is if they're trying to make money it might be a sign, might be a sign there. So I, I love that the teachers that we have are all for free and, and that they're truly just giving of themselves. But before Peter goes into any more detail, he sends his readers right back to stories about uh, anciently, anciently. So go back and you're going to see how um, that, that those teachers, uh, that false teachers have been throughout the scriptures and they're going to be again. So they're just going to talk about things going from bad to worse. And the last section is, uh, I wrote down, hold on, the day of the Lord. We've talked about this term before, the day of the Lord. And it becomes really famous, uh, and you see it in Isaiah, Amos is some of my favorite quote of the day. Uh, and then we put, I will say kind of a prefix, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And and when, when the... Israelites crossed over the Jordan and they were fine. Uh, I'm sorry, after the Red Sea had been part of the Reed Sea and they had escaped the Egyptians, they have this uh, song and they talk about this day. And then there's a, a poem, right, where they're like, hey, the day of the Lord. And it's this victory when God will come, when the Messiah will come and they will have a victory over their enemies like Egypt. 
And so this day of when they'll finally be redeemed is this theme. And so sometimes we talk about the day of the Lord as the second coming in our day when he will come and he will be victorious. Finally, we're going to talk about that more in Revelation, the book, but they're saying this great day, this day of the Lord is coming. Now in Amos's time, Amos went and taught the Ephraimites, those in the Israelite kingdom in the north who were very soon you know, going to be dispersed and taken over by the Assyrians. But he's like, you guys keep thinking, won't it be great when the day of the Lord comes? But it's like, it's not going to work out for you because that's, it's the great and dreadful day. It's, you need to be obedient and following your covenants um, for it to be a great day and not a dreadful day. But he is going to talk about this, uh, this time. He goes, well, I'm writing this second time and I want to talk about the time that the holy prophets have commanded and that there's going to be a time when the Lord will come, but it will come like a thief. It's not going to be, no one's going to know when that is. And on the day when the heavens pass away and the great rushing sound and the elements will be dissolved in fire and the earth and all the works on it will be disclosed. That one day everything will be made known. Uh, so some people say fire, it'll be burned up. Um, but it also says here it will be disclosed. It will be something about it being, everything will be out in the open. Everything will be made true and pure. Uh, so everything will be found out is one way to think about it. Um, he doesn't want us to get too stressed out about those times. Uh, he, and, but he, so he explains that God doesn't work in our timelines. He quotes Psalms 94. He quotes some, like Jesus said in Mark 13. But his point here is patience. He's saying in this final section, all of these things, whether it's the teachers or these trials that are going to come, are for patience. It's going to teach us patience. And so this is really what the end of 2 Peter ends up on. Since everything is going to dissolve in this way, what sort of people should you be? So he's like, it's all going to end in you know, one day anyway. Then what sort of people should you be? You're, you should live lives that are holy and godly as you look for God's day to appear. And indeed, hurry it on its way. The day, the day because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the elements will melt with heat. But we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which justice will be at home. That is what he has promised. So my dear family, as you wait for these things, be eager and be found without spot or blemish before him in peace. Did you catch it in peace? That stuff's going to happen. Do the right things. Be the right people. And when our Lord waits patiently to act, see what for what it is, salvation. And then he just talks about, don't be led away, right? But learn patience and grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord and Jesus the Messiah. So that's it. That is the book of Second Peter, a great message of patience and godliness as we wait uh, for the Savior to come. And he's given us everything we need, our starter kit, as we become partakers in the divine nature. Let me tell you a quick story. So um, false teachers, you know, I've gone back to school and one thing that comes up a lot is that I have some great teachers and I have some great books that I'm referred to and you get to read a lot, um, obviously all outside the church. And there are some fantastic things out there. And I really thought that uh, it was going to be really obvious sometimes, like this is just false doctrine. I, I would tell you there's a lot of stuff that you're just reading, you know, Peter or uh, the book of Leviticus or whatever you're studying. And the theology or something is, is very basic. And, and so I thought it was going to be really obvious that, oh, this is false doctrine or something like that. But it has come up for me a few times, like, how do I know? 
how do I know if this is a false teacher? How do I know if I'm just not generally being kind of dissuaded um, and falling away? And so I love the advice that uh, Peter gives, right? Is to the very end, learn more of the Savior. But he says, you know, take, get, get away from those poor practices, my personal practices, right? That, that be holy um, and be set apart. And I also have found, I'm going to tell you a little secret, that I have to really sink myself into the Book of Mormon more. I have to come back, and it just is opening up. I can't wait uh, to do it next year. I started working um, on it already for us and going back, and so I've been going back through uh, Isaiah and First and Second Nephi and how Nephi uses it, and it's just absolutely open. My mind has been so open. Uh, the Spirit has been great. And I was on a discussion with one of my professors. I had to do a little web discussion with him, and he was like, hey, I understand your LDS. I said, yeah. And he's like, is that ever weird here at school? I said, yeah. And he goes, for me too. He says, I'm actually Catholic. And so as a Catholic professor, I have to sometimes be careful of what I teach. And so we had a really interesting discussion of here we are in a religious school, and we still have to be a little bit cautious. We have to be respectful and understanding of other people's beliefs. And yet he was talking about how he stays kind of grounded in his Catholic faith. And I was talking about how I stay uh, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and mine was with the Book of Mormon. And we had a fascinating discussion on that. He was really open to it. So I can't wait to put it in my next um, paper uh, to him. As I'm just, I actually quoted Abraham 3 in one of my papers, and I just told him. I said, oh, I, I quoted some of our own scripture um, about uh, the intelligences. So anyway, stay rooted in the truth. Listen to the authority. The keys of the gospel are here on earth. We have them, and, uh, and the, the Lord will help us. Anyway, that's it. I'm way over time. Thanks, Scriptorians. And we'll, we'll pick it up with uh, John's and Jude next week. All right? Keep on reading.